Hot enough for you? <laughs> These cicadas are really starting to bug me. <laughs> Come on. You know, in the novel, The Sun Also Rises, Ernest Hemingway has a former millionaire drinking in a bar with friends. He's asked, how did you go bankrupt? He contemplates this for a minute and then answers, gradually, then suddenly. That quote sprung into my mind a while back as I was talking to a friend whose marriage had been going sideways for quite some time and his wife finally had told him she wanted to separate. And he was grieving over this as he told me separation is the first step toward divorce. I said, wait, what? Separation is pretty much the last step before divorce. You've been walking in that direction for years. Let me share a quote with you. And I shared this quote from The Sun Also Rises. And the reason that quote came to my mind is that's exactly how most intimate relationships fail. Gradually. Then suddenly. One ordinary interaction, one ordinary conversation at a time, then bam. And wise people build habits, disciplines that mitigate against allowing the ordinary to slowly chip away at the essential, because it will. But if we're truthful with ourselves, we probably have to admit that most of the important things in our lives and relationships in our lives that have failed have failed precisely in this way. Mostly in the ordinary and mundane where we spend most of our time, maybe it's by neglect or inattention or drift, maybe it becomes habit, maybe for years. Inattention in the ordinary, just slowly, almost imperceptibly, chips away at the essential. I think that's a t tendency for most of us, and that's precisely the tendency today's collect stands as a correction to. Oh God, the protector of all those who trust in you, without whom nothing is strong, nothing is holy, increase and multiply upon us your mercy that with you as our ruler and guide, we may so pass through the things temporal, i.e. the ordinary, that we lose not the things eternal. I am wearing a white stole this week because we are baptizing Wesley Maddox, but the colors actually turn green this week because today begins ordinary time, 33 weeks of green. So get used to it. Every year, we reorient ourselves to the gospel story from Advent through Pentecost. And having relived the story of Jesus, we come down from those heights, and God trains us to stay close in the mundane. What did we see on the heights? We saw the things eternal that have been 
signified and promised in the birth and death and resurrection and ascension of Christ. We received the down payment and assurance of our future glorious inheritance by the seal of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. But now the time is just ordinary, like so much of life. And it's in this time that we ask God to be our ruler and guide and strength, specifically so that we may so pass through things temporal that we lose not the things eternal, the essential. These things temporal are the everyday activities and occupations with which we order our lives in the world just the ordinary stuff, it shouldn't surprise us then that the readings for this week point us to a gift of a particular discipline, a habit aimed directly at not allowing inattention in the ordinary to chip away at the essential. Sabbath. Our first reading was the restating of the Sabbath law from the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy uh, 5, 12 through 15, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, your son, or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your ox, or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. The Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So at least five things, I think, in these these verses deserve some comment. First, Israel is to observe or remember the rest day. Sabbath means rest. Observe the Sabbath day means don't neglect it. Second, keep it holy means to set it aside from all other days as special. The word holy means other. And specifically, as verse 14 says, keep it to the Lord your God. In other words, the rest is not to be aimless, kind of uh, feed up, uh, take a break, but God-centered rest. Attention is to be directed to God in a way that is more concentrated and steady than on other days. Keep the day holy by keeping the focus on the holy God. Third, the holy rest day should be one out of every seven. Verses 13 and 14, six days shall you labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Work six, rest one. Work six, rest one. That's the pattern. Every seventh day must be a Sabbath. Fourth, there is no fudging on the commandment by saying, well, I'll keep it, but I'll put my maid to work or set my ox to the threshing floor. Uh, before sunset, the evening of the Sabbath, so that it will thresh grain while I rest. The law says, no, you missed the point if you try to keep the business running by using servants or foreigners or animals or relatives. What's the point? What's the point? And it's this. 
we were not made for endless toil. The last sentence of this paragraph in verse 15 begins with the word, therefore. And what do you always do when you see the word, therefore? You find out what it's there for. For 430 years, you were slaves in Egypt. Remember what it was like to live lives of unending toil and production. You were not made for that. So remember the Sabbath. Indeed, we see in this paragraph that in the Sabbath year land laws and in Jubilee that nothing in creation was made for that. Endless toil rubs against the grain of the universe. And what happens when you rub against the grain of the universe? You get splinters. So it's not stated in this passage, but it is in its first stating of the law in Exodus 20. All of this is modeled on God's resting after creation in Genesis 2, 2 and 3. On the seventh day, God finished his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all his work, which he had done in creation. Both Genesis 2-3 and Exodus 20 verse 11 say that God blessed and hallowed the rest day. What does it mean for God to bless a day? It means that he makes the day a time of blessing. When God blesses a woman, she becomes rich with blessings. When he blesses a land, the land becomes rich with blessings. So when he blesses a day, that day becomes rich with blessings. And what does it mean that he hallows the day? Hallows is the same word as sanctifies. It means set the day aside for special focus on what is holy, namely God and his holy works. Now consider these words together. He blessed the day and he hallowed the day. How do these fit together? Well, he made it a source of blessing, and he made it to focus on himself. It's kind of like hallowing is included in the blessing, and the blessing is included in the hallowing. When you take a day to hallow God and focus your attention on him, you receive more blessing than if you keep on busying yourself seven days a week in busyness and work. And the reverse, when you seek your blessing in God rather than in the products of human labor, you hallow him and honor his holiness as the greater wealth. The reason we're given that God blessed and hallowed the seventh day is that's the day he rested from all his work he'd done in creation. What does it mean that God rested? Was he tired? No. It means that he was satisfied that his work of creation was complete and was very good. It was a celebration of good work and completion. His rest means that he wanted to now stand back in leisure, as it were, and savor the beauty and completeness of his creative work. How many times have you been working on a project at home, and as you're going along and as you get near completion especially, you stand back and just take a look at what you've done and enjoy it? This is what God is doing as he rests on the seventh day. This is the real basis of his hallowing and blessing the Sabbath in the law of Moses. It's as if he's saying, let everyone made in my image stop every seven days and commemorate with me the fact that I am the creator who's done all of this. 
Let her cease her labor and focus on me, the source of all that she is and has. I am the fountain of blessing. I have made the very hands and mind with which she works. Let one day out of every seven be a reminder to him that all land and all animals and all raw materials and all breath and strength and thought and emotion and everything come from me. Let them rest in me one day out of seven for the blessing that can be so hidden in the ordinariness of life. And so we can see from Genesis 2 and from Exodus 20 that Sabbath is a re weekly reminder of at least two things. One is that all true blessing comes from his grace, not our labor. The other is that we hallow him and honor him when we keep the day holy, if we seek the fullness of his blessing by giving our attention to him on that day. But Deuteronomy 5 adds a third basis for Sabbath in verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore... The Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. This is the same God who has shown his power not just to create, but also to deliver and to save. Your endless toil was crushing you, so I saved you from it. So Sabbath's focus is, is on God, not only as the source of creation, but also the source of salvation. Your God brought you up out of the land of Egypt, therefore... I commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. One day in every seven of spiritual and physical refreshment kept holy to the Lord reminds us that God is our creator and our deliverer. As we did not make ourselves, so we cannot sustain or save ourselves without his grace. And we must be reminded of this over and over and over again, lest we forget because, and this is where the danger is, because he has designed us in his image as workers. And that as he did, we're to take our work seriously and do it well as unto the Lord. But work can neither itself create or save or sanctify. For these we depend entirely on the blessing of God. All things are from him and in him and to him. And so we don't forget this and, and begin to take our own strength and our own thought and our own work too seriously. We should cease from all our labors one day in seven and give God the source of all blessing, our focus. It's a way of keeping inattention in the ordinary from chipping away at the essential. Coming back time and time again to the truth that it is God alone who is both our creator and our deliverer. And just resting in that truth. So I hope you can see that even in the Old Testament, the discipline of Sabbath is given as a gift by God for our flourishing. But by the time we get to the New Testament, the fundamentalists have so totally munged it up that they've added a mountain of sediment to the Sabbath command and entirely missed its spirit. And so, as you would imagine, Sabbath has gone from being a blessing to a burden. I can relate to this personally in some ways. My family of origin had a long, confusing, and often contradictory list of rules to govern what you could and couldn't do on the Lord's Day. For example, you could 
cleaned like crazy in the house, but you couldn't wash your car in the driveway. You couldn't wash your car because the neighbors would see you. And then your witness, blown. Neighbors in hell, pretty much your fault. It was also really bad to work on Sundays, but perfectly fine to eat in a restaurant where others had to work. Now, I'm just saying, if you're going to keep the law, be consistent. Keep the law. Also, it was fine to run around like a possessed child in the parking lot at church, but not to be on a little league team because they had occasional Sunday afternoon games. Not that I'm bitter at all. The problem with legalism is that it breeds hypocrisy and is a really, really tiring thing to try to maintain. It's just burdensome for everyone. And that's why Jesus takes it on in today's gospel reading, Mark 2, 23 through 28. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, the disciples began to pluck heads of grain, and the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the, the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And so also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was not made for man, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Here's what's happening. In Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 23, 25 implies that in the case of hunger, it was permissible to eat heads of grain from, from any field a person might pass by. Labor, however, in Exodus 34, 21, was not permitted on the Sabbath. Pharisaic interpretation sought to guard against even the suggestion of working on the Sabbath by prohibiting even the minimal amount of work involved in satisfying one's hunger. Jesus initially emphasizes that the restrictive Pharisaic interpretation of the law doesn't take into account the situation of real need in which David and his men find themselves in 1 Samuel 21 verses 1 through 6. David ate the bread of the presence, so it follows that at least in the case of real need, actions are allowed on the Sabbath that otherwise might not be permitted. Healing, perhaps? But then Jesus just really ticks them off. He reminds them that the Sabbath is given as a gift to mankind, and so we're not confined by it. And as he'd done earlier in the chapter, he again points to his authority as the Son of Man. And here's the basic formula. If the Sabbath is a gift to mankind, and if the Son of Man is Lord, is Lord of all mankind, then he is Lord even of the Sabbath. And what we can discern here is that Jesus didn't come to abolish the discipline of Sabbath, but to dig it out from under the mountain of legalistic sediment that, and give it to us once more as a blessing rather than a burden. It shouldn't be governed by rigidity, by narrow definition, uh, definitions of what comprises work and what doesn't. 
I'm certainly not qualified to give those to you. Heck, I'm, by anyone's definition, I'm on the clock right now. Rather, Sabbath is a day set aside to cease and to give our focus to the Lord, a day to discipline ourselves in a way that mitigates against allowing inattention in the ordinary to slowly chip away at the essential. And we ought to take that seriously. And we ought to seek God to help us discern what it looks like in our own complex and busy lives. And that's what it will take, discernment. Oh, and one big change from the Old Testament. Now Jesus Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath, and so now it's a day to give our focus to him. And it's impossible that a day focused on Christ could be any kind of burden to the believing soul. Come to me, he said, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Thanks be to God.